that is we have to become people of prayer and intercession. Our key verse for the series is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Turn there with me. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn them on. Uh, or if you read a Bible and you're still killing trees, go ahead and open those up. Um, but for all you digital guys, or if you forgot your Bible, it'll be on the screen. And uh, so 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. For the next few weeks as we dive into the subject of prayer and intercession and we turn our hearts back to the Lord and fall down on our knees in repentance and a desire to see our nation come back to Christ, see our families healed, to see our young people have, have clarity on who God really is and not have to run into all the wickedness that is so really, readily available to them. And as we do that, I want to set the pace with Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14 says it like this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Jesus, I ask you that over the next couple weeks that something supernatural would happen in us. That Lord God, that you would that you would in, engage with us in a way that we would get delivered from the concept that we somehow can make this life work well. That, Lord God, that we would begin to be men and women of prayer and intercession because we see that only when God comes on the scene can the things that are destroying us be liberated. And so we call to you the author and perfecter of our faith. You started this whole thing in me, and, Lord, you're going to see it through in me. And so, Lord, I humble myself as the pastor of Hill City, and I ask you, make me a man of prayer and intercession. Reveal to me, Lord God, that which, Lord, I do not see about myself, that I may seek you in the fullness of who I was made to be. I bless the people of God. May the word today go forth and change our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. When this passage is brought forth in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, to really understand it, you have to kind of back up and see what was happening. So the people of Israel have been scattered. David becomes king, and he brings them all back together. And as David becomes king, he has this heart for God. As you know, those of you that have been in the Word before, those of you who have studied the Bible a little bit, you know that David is considered a man after God's own heart. He wrote mo much of the book of Psalms, which are songs to the Lord, which really are even doctrinal pieces of who God is and how to engage with God. And we see this life of one of the greatest kings of, of the Israelis uh, before the Lord and how God delivered delivered him out of the snare of the fowler, if you will, and set him up on a throne, just a little shepherd boy, just a little dude who worked, you know, in the produce department, and God takes him, and he makes him someone great, and David, as he comes into the kingship, he says, I don't want to live my life without the presence of God, and so I want to build God a temple, a house, that his presence can dwell, and they can come from around the nations and worship the Lord at his holy place, and the Lord says, to David, you're not allowed to build my temple because you have been used to bring forth so much destruction. You've had to fight battles. You've got blood on your hands. Though you were righteous in your things, uh, you know, in your, in your, in your warring, uh, you cannot build it because I need a man with clean hands so your son Solomon will build it. And so Solomon sets out to build the temple of God, the 
first temple up until this point, the Israelis had had a tabernacle, a giant tent, and it had different uh, you know, portions of this tent with different pieces. There was the showbread area. There was the area with the Ark of the Covenant and the inner sanctum. And this point, they want to build a temple, a building, uh, a building beautiful unto the Lord where his presence can abide, if you will. And so the Lord allows it. Solomon builds this temple. And as he finishes building this temple, he calls all of the Israelites, all of the Jews, come and let us dedicate this building before the Lord. Let us bow before our God. And they come. So you got to picture millions of people out in front of this giant building that has been built for the presence of the Lord. Inside of, the, inside of there is the, is the Ark of the Covenant. Inside of there is the, is the golden lampstands and all these precious pieces of symboli- uh, symbolism between God and his people and the way he worked with them in relationship. And as they stand out in front of all the people, Solomon prays a prayer. And I want to read an extraction of that prayer backing up into 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 36. And so he stands before God and before the people and he begins to pray a prayer. And as he gets down in verse 36, this is what he says. And when they sin against you, God, because you know they will, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near. He actually is prophesying about the great dispersion that's about to happen in a few hundred years. And verse 37, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly. And if they turn back to you with all of their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they have been taken or where they were taken and pray toward the land you gave their fathers, toward the city you have chosen, towards the temple I have built in your name. Verse 39, then from heaven, your dwelling place, Hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. It really is symbolic even in our lives. And God, when we turn away from you and we've got all this mess and we literally are taken away from the goodness of God and we're captive in our sin and we're controlled by our anger and we're controlled by our lust for more and more and more and more. Lord, and then we wake up and realize what we've done and we cry out to you. He says, when that happens, would you please hear from heaven? And would you please fix them? And as he prays this prayer, if you'll drop all the way back down now to chapter 7, it says, and all of a sudden at the, at the beginning of chapter 7, it says, and when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, so much so that the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. So millions of people are on their face saying, yes, God, when our children and our grandchildren, which we have a custom of doing, walk away from you, and because of that, we end up being taken captive into other nations because we're a small nation. Oh, God, and we cry out to you in repentance, heal us and forgive us and bring us back to you and as they finish this prayer Solomon finishes this prayer all of a sudden the fire of God comes down out of heaven so they're all sitting there like whoa and they fall down on their face and the glory of the Lord fills this thousands and tens of thousands of square feet of facility. So much so that they can't even go in the doors because the presence of the Lord, it's like this literal presence. It's like this, it's like this sense of you can't even walk in it. It's almost tangible, if you will. And the priest couldn't even go in the building. For the next seven days, they worship and they praise and they have festivals unto the Lord their God for the next seven days. And when that time comes to an end, look what verse 30, uh, verse 14 of uh, 2 Chronicles 7 says, it says, 
He says, um, the Lord comes to him. And then this is our key verse. He comes to Solomon and he says, I'm listening to your prayer. So if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. See, I believe that there's still a remnant in the United States who loves God, who will fall down on their face and seek his face and repent of our own sins. And as we come into that posture and that position, the Bible says not only will he forgive us of our sins, but he will heal the land. I don't know about you, but I'd like to know once again that when you, whenever you get caught doing something wrong and you stand before a judge, that that judge isn't so wicked and so caught up in politics that he'll judge unfairly. Are you tracking with me? I would love to live in a nation again where right is right and wrong is wrong and that where children have safety living in a home protected not being molested i'd love again to have a land that has been healed by the lord god almighty where we say in god we trust i would love to be a part of that i want my grandchildren to have that kind of life i want my great-grandchildren to have that kind of life but friend it's going to start with you and i falling down on our knees and repenting of our sins and saying Oh, God, heal our land. And in this passage, he gives us two positions that will elicit his response. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable right here in his holy scriptures, these two positions that you and I can take. Now, I don't know if you understand about right position, but a couple years ago when my daughter was around the 11-year-old age, there was a couple families in the city um, and we decided we were going to put our, our, we knew each other, and we were going to put our girls in uh, rec softball here in Cedar Hill. And uh, the city manager, his daughter, who we knew, and, uh, and then the Thomases, their daughter. And uh, so we put our, our uh, we just signed up for the team that was available for us online, and we signed up for it. And then just days before all of it was supposed to start, we get a call from the director, and he says, we're, we're sorry, but <clears throat> who we had planned to be the coach of this team has backed out. Would any of you be willing to take the team? Otherwise, we're going to have to expand it and try to... Uh, there, uh, we don't even know if there's teams for you to get on now because all the rosters have been full, filled. <clears throat> to which we said, okay, we, we'll try. Uh, none of us have cur- coached girls softball before, uh, but a couple of us had played athletics in, in high school and, in, in, and so forth. And so we said, okay, we'll do it. And so we got together as families, and there were three families, and we said, okay, we'll be the coaches. Because there, none of us could do it full time because we all had jobs and difficulties that we had to uh, you know, accomplish. And so one of the things that was pretty neat about coaching girls at this age was most of them knew how to swing the bat. Most of them could kind of catch. Some of them could throw pretty good. But as we began to coach them, none of them knew proper positioning. If you know anything about sports, there is everything to do with proper positioning. In fact, if you watch, the Cowboys slaughtered the Eagles last night. <laughs> what you noticed was multiple times that we scored touchdowns, it's because the, def- the defense person was out of position which allowed our offensive person to be open to be able to get the ball to score. See, when you're out of position, you cannot win. You cannot receive, and you cannot go forward. And so our, one of our biggest tasks was getting the girls to stand in the batter's box in the proper spot. Sometimes they would be too far up, and so as a result of being too far up, they couldn't hit the ball because it was, it was too high for them, or they'd be too far back, and that thing would drop right down across where they would miss and swing. Many times we'd have to tell them, scoot over. Second base doesn't mean standing on second base. 
You have to get off the base. They were out of position, and no matter what they, what, no matter, no matter how good of an athlete you are, there's no way you're going to be able to go get that ball when it's hit that direction because you're out of position. Are you with me? Say yes. The reason why much of your prayer is not getting answered is because you're out of position. And so he gives us clear instruction on what right position looks like real simply in this, in this key verse right here. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal, hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sins. I'll, I'll heal their land. And this is what we're after, for our sins to be forgiven and for our land to be healed. So let me give you the two proper positions. Write these down. The first position that elicits the Lord's help, number one, is humility. He starts in verse 14. Will humble themselves. If my people, which you call by my name, will humble themselves. Humility is the starting position to be in right position to get, to get that ball, to be in right position to be able to defend against that. You, the right position as a believer starts with humility. And he lays out what humility looks like. He lays out, he says, he qualifies humility with three little pieces. Humility looks like this. Number one, praying. Well, humble themselves and pray. See, when a man begins to pray, what he is doing is acknowledging his ability to make things happen. When a man or woman says, oh, God, I need you, you have humbled yourself because you said, I can't make this happen. I've been trying to fix my marriage, but I can't fix it. So, God, I call on you. See, that's humility. I can't make these jokers at work recognize how good of a job I'm doing. They keep promoting everybody else, but they won't promote me. So, God, I humble myself, and I pray, oh, God, kill the manager. I mean, oh, God, open his eyes to see that I'm a valued employee. Lord, I need your help. See, prayer starts with humility. So he says, if you will humble yourself and pray, and then he gives us a second piece on what humility looks like, and seek my face. Seek my face. Now, that's just a sexy way or an ancient way of saying, follow what I'm doing. Pay attention to what I'm all about. See, back in the day, if you was courting a woman, you'd watch her. You'd watch her. You know, you pay attention to what she liked, and you would watch her face and her responses when you said things and you did things. You know, now that's called a stalker. But anyway, the point being, <laughs> the point being, is seek my face. Lord, what are you about? What are you engaged with? See, that takes humility because we think we know what God's about. Because we heard a sermon five years ago. Because we watch a little podcast every now and then. Because, you know, on our Instagram feed, we come across some of our favorite people that we follow, and we see their little one-liner or their little 60-second pitch. And so we think we know what God wants. No, no, no. There is a seeking of his face. My God, I've been married 28 years. I still don't know what she wants. I'm still learning. Are you with me? Because what she was about five years ago seems to have morphed into something else now. And I'm learning more and more about her. Why? Because she's a deep, deep soul. Do you think that your God is shallow? He's a deep, deep, deep soul. That's why he says, my ways are higher than your ways. You'll never understand me because I'm God and you're not. And when you and I humble ourselves and begin to pray, we say, oh God, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure what, what's supposed to happen. That is humility, praying, seeking his face. And then he gives us a third thing of what humility looks like, and that is that you and I would actually turn from our wicked ways. That we would turn from our wicked ways. I believe that most of the reason why we're out of position in our times of prayer with the Lord is because we won't admit that we're still wicked in areas. Come on, Christian. He's talking to Christians here. He's talking to his followers. We, we won't admit, Lord, I'm still bitter. I'm still critical. I'm still judgmental, Lord. I'm still, it's got to be me. I got to win. 
See, when you start praying for your spouse, you start praying for your family, what you're doing is admitting, I don't know what to do, and I don't know how to fix it. And in the midst of praying and seeking his face, the step of real humility is saying, God, I keep screwing it up. I, don't, I, I think I got it all figured out, and I got it all together. One of the reasons why many of us had such struggles with different leadership in the United States is because many times we see people in head positions, and they never show any sign of, uh, of humility. They walk in such narcissism because they know the right way. And that frustrates anybody who's pure in heart because we're like, look, we know that it's only by God that we're even still a major power. And anybody that's got any sense of what's going on in the world, the only reason China has not taken us over is because Jesus Christ is Lord still in the United States. The only reason that Russia did not invade us in the 90s is because Jesus was sitting on the throne of our hearts still. I'm telling you, because there was a remnant seeking his face. I want you to know we are people of grace and mercy that he's poured out on us. And when you and I fall on our face and say, God, I just need to admit, I just need to be honest with you. I don't like going to this job because they don't treat me well. They don't do this well. And it's still about me. And I see that yuck inside of me. I see that gross inside of me. And I don't want it. Years ago, when we were first Christians, <clears throat> we were, you know, my mom and dad, I tell the story frequently, uh, Mimi and Pop, as y'all know, my, my mom and dad, they've been able to move here the last five, six years and come and be a part with us and just such a critical part of who we are at Hill City. But I'll never forget one night, uh, Mimi and Pop got one of those, um, um, hmm, one of those, uh, mm, one of those disagreements that Christians don't have. And uh, never get mom locked herself in the bathroom. <laughs> and Pop was like, open the door. I ain't open the door. Go away. Open the door. I'll kick it in. Don't you get Pow, kicked it in, you know, and kicked in the door. And, uh, and, and you know, from, from our past and the way we grew up, I'm thinking, call 911, you know, cops got to come. And, you know, come on, some of y'all have family life like that. And, uh, and so don't be all holy. Come on, y'all know. You know what y'all was, what y'all came for. You know what you did Friday night. Anyway, so, and so, and, and, and so, uh, Pop, in a frustration, you know, ran, jumped in his truck and, and peeled out, and, and mom sat there and cried and so forth and so on. Well, what Pop did was, see, we were good, we were good church Christ folk. We were good denominational folk. Uh, but we had met this guy who had had, who, we had met this family who had had an experience with the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the power of God that can actually transform us to be like Jesus. And not just Christianity going to church people, but talking about Christianity and the fullness of what God had intended, that we would be able to overcome our own sinful nature, that we'd be able to overcome sickness and disease, the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And so Pop went and found them. They were having a small group. You want to know why I'm committed to small groups? He went and found them. They were having a small group that night. And he went walking up in the middle of them. They said, Mike, what are you doing here? And he fell down on his knees and said, I, I, I just can't stop. I got an anger issue. I just, uh, you know, whatever he confessed to him. And they were like, let's, and they told him straight up, Mike, your problem is you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. You know the Bible, you know how, you know how to do church stuff. You know, you know, you know, the three fast songs, the three so, slow songs, and then the offering and then the guy preaches and you know, all the little structural stuff, but you don't know the power by which he transforms lives. You know about God, but you don't know the essence of who he really is. And he's not flowing through you. Like Pop said, I don't care. I just want what you're talking about right now. I don't care what it does to me. So he lifted up his hands. They laid hands on him. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He got a beautiful prayer language in this moment. He said, oh, I don't know if I believe in that. I don't care if you believe in it or not. Let me tell you what happened to our life. That man then came home. Now, you understand, Pop's a little redhead. Redheads don't say they sorry. 
And it don't take much to set them off. And everybody said, amen. I mean, it's how God made them. Pop comes home. I think I'm already in bed by then. He gets me out of bed, gets mom out of bed, puts us in the living room, gets down on his knees and begins to repent to us. Crying. I'm crying. Mom's crying. We changed church that week. Because we said if it would change him like this. I've never seen him say he was sorry. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my, seek my face, and repent of their sins, I will hear from heaven, and I will heal their land. I believe a lot of the reason why we're not, you're not seeing breakthrough in your marriage, you're not seeing breakthrough in our children, we're not seeing breakthrough in this, that, and the other, is because we haven't gotten to a place of true humility, because this is the right position. You're out of position. You can't even feel the ball because you're in the wrong position. The balls are flying past you and you can't even catch them. The, def- the offensive guy is flowing right past you and making touchdowns on you. The devil's making touchdowns on you because you're out of position. The position starts with, Lord, I humble myself. God, I need you. See, I used to think prayer is what weak people did. I did. Because I'm a man of action. Y'all sitting around praying about it. Let's go do it. You know, we pray, oh, Lord, win the loss. I'm like, shut up. Let's go win the loss. Let's go talk to them. They lost because no one's ever told them anything. And the older I've gotten, the more I realize I can't fix everything. In fact, that is arrogance and pride to think that I can. I can't fix you. I can't make you love this church, love the Lord. I can't make you, get, I can't do that. I used to think I was just going to out-preach everybody and they're going to love me and they're going to say, ooh, what Pastor Adam has, I won't. And then to watch people get broken and destroyed and the enemy. You and I must fall on our face and call to the one. There's only one by which men shall be saved. And his name is Jesus. And he says, if you'll humble yourself and pray, I'll heal, hear from heaven. Which puts us in a second portion, or second category, or position. If you and I want to really see and, and, and activate the power of God in our life. Number one is humility. Number two, write this down, authority. Just by saying that, if you're tracking with me, that's going to almost sound like a dichotomy to you. Like what? Hum- humility and authority. Because we don't really see those two activated properly in most people of leadership. But the God that we serve, Jesus Christ, walked in all authority and all humility. Humility and authority. And let me explain to you what I mean by authority. And, it, and the verse actually starts, if my people. Everybody say, my people. Turn to that person next to you and say, you my people. Come on, say it out loud. Say, my people. If my people, so God's saying, now this is God speaking to Solomon. This is, not, this is not a prophet prophesying. This is not someone saying, God is telling me to tell you this. God himself begins to speak audibly to this man who's built this temple and humbled himself and asked God to heal the land. And God speaks to him. He says, he says, listen, if my people. See, the problem for most of us when we pray is that we're out of position because we don't recognize we his people. See, rightful authority comes from relationship, not because you've accomplished great things by your own strength. See, right authority comes that I'm in submission to the one who's conquered hell, death, and the grave. I am in relationship with the one who died and rose again. I am best friends. He's my daddy. He is, come on, you ever, have you ever worked at a business where the owner's kids would come by after school sometime? And they would get the keys and they would go open up the vending machine, get whatever they want out of it? And we still trying to get bar quarters off of somebody just so we can have some for lunch. And they bust it. Or, or they get to playing in the warehouse on the forklift, wreck it, tear up everything. Don't, they don't get in no trouble. Because why? Because they are the owner's 
kids. Right positioning is that I am in authority not because I've done anything right or wrong, but because I'm a son of the Most High God, because I am a joint heir with Christ Jesus. And until you get that mentality shift, you will continue to be out of position. Balls will continue to fly past you. Def- uh, 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 offensive uh, 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 linemen and different ones will blow right past you. Touchdowns will be scored on you because you are out of position because you don't know who you are in Christ. You keep trying to make God be okay with you when God is already okay with you. You keep trying to say, Lord, I know I'm not good enough. I know I'm not good enough. Humility is not a position of I'm not good enough. Humility is I know you've accepted me, but I need to be honest about my brokenness. I need to just put that before you. These are the right positions that causes him to awaken and say, that's my baby right there. I got I to gotta rush on the scene. I got to fix that thing. I ain't going to let nobody. You ever let anybody take advantage of your child? Even when they're bad. Even when they're bad. Like, you ain't whooping them. I'll whoop them, but you get your hands off of them. I will cut you. Why? Because that's my baby. You don't mess with my baby. In the new movie, Sing 2, that is in theaters right now, and everyone with kids have seen it or are going to see it. In the movie, there is this, uh, there is this uh, main character. One of the main characters is a guy named Johnny. And Johnny's a gorilla. And, uh, and Johnny, his family is a bunch of thugs. And so, but he can sing. And so, and so he, he tries out for this singing group. They're going to do this production. And in the first movie, he don't want his dad to know about it because his dad is, he's, he's the head of the mafia group of the gorillas. And they break into things and they steal things. And, and so, so Johnny kind of hides it from him. But in the second movie, scene two, Johnny's dad gets a call from Johnny. And Johnny says, Dad, there's a bad guy trying to keep us from doing our production. The dad's not really happy that his gorilla-sized man of a man is an artist. But his boy needs help. And so he gets all the family to come. And even if they don't believe in the cause... They believe in that boy. And they, if you will, break the ankles like mafia guys do and beat off all the bad guys because the son has called. I need you to understand you have authority not because you're good or bad. You have authority because he's great and you're his. The authority is on loan to you from God. I've told this story a couple times, but... Years ago, it's my story, I'll tell it again. Years ago, I was in Guatemala, and they picked me up late like they normally would for the service. They lived on a different time schedule. And, uh, and they, picked me up, or they picked me up late, and so I, I, was, I was in the car, and I'm in panic mode, a tickle, typical American. And we come around the corner, dead stop traffic. And I look at the little guy driving, I'm like, look, bro, the service starts in 10 minutes. How far away are we? And I'm not giving them my notes yet, and I want some, I want some PowerPoints on the screen. He's like, Pastor, it's no problem. You know, we're going to be a little late. I said, I don't want to be late. So I want you to get around this. Can you get around this? Pastor, I got you. And he takes a side road. And he's going down these back alleys. And boom, boom, he's going around the traffic. And all of a sudden, he comes around the corner. And there's this little dude. This is Guatemala. And he's got a pair of blue jeans on and a T-shirt. And a shirt that says, Policia. 
As we come around the corner, he locks up the brakes. Because the little guy's doing like this. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, Pastor Felicia. I'm like, bro, it's some little dude. That's, that's like, dude, that's, have you not seen Mall Cop? Bro, d- go around this joker. What are you doing? He's like, no, no, Pastor, he's Felicia. I'm like, bro, he ain't even got a gun. He don't have, a, he don't have nothing. He's just a little dude with a T-shirt. Policia. I'm like, dude, go around him. It's okay. We got to get there. He's like, no, Pastor, Policia. I'm like, bro. And this little guy's standing there like this, like, stop. Like, like as though, as though behind him is all the force of Guatemala Policia, which is exactly what he stood in. So he didn't stand in his own authority. He stood in the understanding, I may not have a gun, I might not even have a knife stick, but I got this little radio right here, and I will bring down Guatemalan fire on you if you go around me. Policia. He understood that it wasn't his own strength that caused us to stop that one-ton car and not go around him. It was the strength of all that he represented. And see, when you and I pray from that position, See, when you pray from the position that I'm a stepchild or that I'm a sinner, that God really can't hear me because he doesn't really like me or he's really disappointed in me or he doesn't. So I've got I've to I've light 17 candles and crawl on my knees and before he will actually hear my prayer, those are all false teachings that it's not. In fact, Jesus said it like this when he was teaching his disciples to pray. He opened up with what? Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy, do you think it's by accident that he started with our father? It's a positional statement. Our father, dad, dad, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, you're so holy, but you're my dad, my dad, the one who loves me, the one who sent his only begotten son, and I believed in him. And he died for me, the one who pulls me out of the muck and the mire, the one who hears me when I barely even get the cry off of my tongue, who's running on the scene, who's knocking down every devil in hell just because I sought his face, because I humbled myself and prayed. See, if you're out of position, then what you'll do is you'll miss every plan of God. And the reason why things aren't getting better in your family, the reason why things aren't getting better in your work, the reason why those things are not happening, because you're out of position, either you're in arrogance or either you're, in, you're outside of your authority and you don't know who you are and you're coming like the poor little kid who's been abandoned and no one loves and that is not the truth of the truth. The truth of the truth is this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he said it like this, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. You're my friend, you're my son, you're my daughter. And when you humbled yourself and you said, God, come into my life, I humble myself, I need you, forgive me of my sins. He took you on as a son or a daughter. Now, you may be a disobedient son, you may be a rebellious daughter, and he will whoop you because he loves you. Come on, somebody, but you're still his. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. For years, as my kids were coming up, I would stop and look at them throughout the day. I'd say, hey, hey, come here, come here. Who loves you? You love me. And why do I love you? Well, because I got good grades. No, 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 sir. I love you because you're mine. Whether you get good grades or you get bad grades, I'm going to whoop you. But I love you because you're mine. Because you look like your mama. And you act like your daddy. And that's a winning combination. You're mine. And I'm responsible for you. And I'm loving you what I made. Are you tracking with me? These are the two positions. And then what he says is this. 
If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, I'll hear from heaven, I'll heal their land. You need to understand, first right position is humility. Second one is authority. You have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The other day, a friend of mine called me, uh, and we were doing some big business pieces. And he said, would you mind making a phone call to your friend so-and-so and give me a connection with them? See, he needed me to connect him to this person of power because he did not have any relational equity to be able to pick up the phone and get a business deal done. But I have relational equity. And this is what some of you do. You think if Pastor Adam prays for you, then God will do it. Friend, you got a misunderstanding. God don't, God don't want you to go through me. He wants to you to come straight to him. He wants his own relational equity with you. The doors are wide open. Anyone, if anyone will come unto me, the Bible says, I will open up the door and let them in. Anyone who comes unto me, I will let them in. And what you're missing is you think by going to church that I'm somehow going to connect you to God. Friend, when we come together on a Sunday or when you come together and small group life we are coming together to rejoice in all that God is doing in our life this is not this is not the church this is a gathering of the church you are the church every morning when you wake up you are his son or daughter every evening when you go to bed when you're looking at porn late at night you're the church when you're cussing out that person at work you're the church when you and I are acting a fool back and forth with other brothers and sisters we're being the church and he is looking at us like are you kidding me what's happening that's why if we seek his face we begin to come in deeper relationship with him and then we get in right position because we now know what he wants to happen instead of what we want to happen. We now know how to pray for those in authority over us because we're seeing it through his eyes, not through our little selfish ambition because we've repented of our selfish ambition. And as we are in right position, look what he says, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive you your sins and I will heal your land. I will heal your land. Look what John Wesley said in reference to this. The great revivalist said this, I desire as many as could to join together in fasting and prayer, that God would restore the spirit of love and of a sound mind to the poor, deluded rebels of America. John Wesley knew that the only way that America could survive is if the poor, deluded rebels would fall on their face and become people of prayer and intercession. And if that were to be the case, then he would heal our land. God doesn't want to just heal the school system. He doesn't want to just heal the politics or the broken systems of the United States. Your land, your land is not just the geographical area that you live in. Heal from, hear from heaven and heal your land. He wants, to heal your, he wants to heal where you abide, the space in which you live, the relationships by which you do life with. God wants to heal your marriage, but you're out of position for him to even be able to even bring forth the solution that you need. He wants to heal where you go and do life at work every day and how you engage with business. He said, I'm just, it ain't working. I'm not making enough money and I hate these people. I can't stick. He wants to heal that. But the way he heals that is when you and I fall on our face humble ourselves in right position in prayer and intercession from a position of I'm yours. I belong to you, Daddy. And so I have a right to come before you, not because I'm good or bad, but because you said I belong to you. And that you, if I ask, I shall receive. If I seek you, I will find you. If I knock, the door would be made open to me. God wants to heal your environment that you do life in. He wants to heal the school district that your kids go to. He wants to heal your family unit your extended family unit. 
Man, what we need again in the United States is Christians who actually pray and intercede. Who fall on our knees instead of sitting in the social media groups talking bad about how, how horrible it is. All that talking hadn't fixed anything. How about we talk to Jesus? How about we start praying and interceding? All the criticism hadn't fixed it, hadn't caused anybody to change. All that pointing out about how terrible they are and how this group is that and that group is that. It ain't changed them. Because the only thing that's going to heal our land is when God hears from heaven and forgive us our sins. He and he alone can heal our land because what we need is supernatural. We need the fire to come down from heaven, consume the offering, and then fill the house with his presence. That's what we need today. Would you stand with me quickly across the room? Hey, everybody. Wasn't that a great message? I know that as we speak, your life is being changed by the word of the Lord. So here's what I want you to do. Take some time to think about it. Consider it, pray, and ask the Lord how you can apply it to your life today and this week. And maybe there's something that he's asking you to change or do differently in your life. So let's not let this be something that we just watch and then walk away like nothing happened. We're so grateful to be able to hear the word of the Lord. You weren't here in person today, but you're here with us online and that matters. And if you made a decision for Christ today, we want to know. We want to know how to come alongside you and how to support you and how we can best pray for you. So please, if you did make that decision for Christ today, text the word DECIDED to 469-606-2684. We can't wait to see you back next week, same time, same place. Share these posts with your friends. Share it on your social media. Blast it out there. Don't be greedy and keep it to yourself. We love you and we'll see you soon. God bless.